Good morning, everybody. Welcome to uh, Church in the Valley. We are really glad that you guys are here with us this morning. And we are continuing a message series called Beginning Again. Uh, We launched it last week. And the series is really about how to experience a fresh start in life, how to begin again, how to kind of take what's happened in our life and kind of start, start over. And however you put it, we have lots of different phrases that, that we like to use. Um, in golf, if a mulligan, that's kind of like, forget that shot happened, we're just going to keep going. And if you've ever seen me play golf, I use that term very frequently. Um, but in sports, it's like do-over. We want to do-over. We don't like how things went. Video games, you want to reset it because you died earlier than you thought you, know, you should have. And all these things kind of trickle into life, this idea of, we don't like the way things have gone and we want to start over. Well, in, in real life, as we are experiencing different things, uh, the same is true. We, we kind of want to figure out how to move beyond maybe mistakes that we've made, how to move beyond things that we've done that we wish we shouldn't. And we started last week talking about how we can actually experience change. And without change and without really knowing that we can change, then there's really no motivation. And so we talked about how beginning a relationship with Jesus Christ actually hooks us to the power to change and how that power to change brings about things that before we connect to Christ, we can't actually experience. And so today we're going to be talking about specifically how to deal with beginning again, despite our past. And today's message is called building on the rubble. Now, That may not be the most motivating title, but the idea is we kind of all have different areas of rubble in our life, things that were maybe built at one time and then just kind of over time have decayed or have broken down. And they're not exactly like we wish they're not like we wish they would have been. And so today, the idea of building on the rubble is how to take all that we've done and experienced the good and the bad. And how do we actually build on that so we can experience the life God wants us to have? And anytime you deal with the idea of a fresh start, you actually have to deal with our past. You can't just ignore the past. You can't uh, change the past. Uh, The past is what it is. But you actually have to uh, deal with it. And I remember when I was younger, one of the first kind of perspectives I had on the past was from an animated movie called The Lion King. And I don't know if you remember Simba. If you haven't seen it, I'm not really going to give you like a spoiler alert because it's very, very old. So after like 10 years, there's no spoilers. So I am going to possibly ruin the movie. So if you want to exit, feel free. Go watch it and we'll see you next week. Just kidding. Just kidding. Anyway, Simba in the movie uh, had some, a lot of tragic things happen in his life. And he comes across a monkey that tries to give him some perspective and he gives him perspective by bonking him on the head with a stick. And he's like, ow, like that does not help me. I'm here pouring out my life and all my struggles and you just smack me upside the head. And does anyone remember what the monkey said? Hakuna Matata. Was it the monkey? I don't even know if it was the monkey. Warthog maybe? This is terrible. Was that even the right movie? Thank you. Meerkat. The meerkat. I was young when I first saw it. Um, The meerkat said Hakuna Matata, which means, anyone remember? No 
worries. And the lion's like, wait a second, no worries, I have this wealth on my head. It's like, no worries, it's, it's in the past. And I remember thinking when I was young, like, okay, that makes sense. I just, when I experienced things, hakuna matata, what just happened, it's, it's in the past. It's this idea, there's no worries for the rest of our days. It's our problem-free philosophy. Hakuna Matata. That's great. Like, animated film, that, that's actually some helpful perspective for kids. But what I found in my own life is Hakuna Matata doesn't actually solve my problems of my past. Yeah, they're in the past, but I don't just say that phrase and all of a sudden everything is better. And as adults, things get a little bit more complicated. The more we've lived and the more we've experienced and the more that maybe we've done that we're not proud of and the more things that have happened to us that we wish didn't, things like Hakuna Matata, they don't really solve our problems. So this morning we're going to talk about how do we actually move beyond the things that tie us to our past, the things that keep kind of connecting us to the things that we may have regret over, we may experience shame, we may just be just angry about, bitter about, sad about. Whatever the emotional experience we have, how do we actually move beyond that? So I want to start talking about what are the things that tie us to our past. And I just want to go over those briefly because without being able to really identify these, it's hard to move beyond it. So there's a few things that tie us to our past that make it very difficult for us to start over with the things that have happened to us. And some of those things are um, guilt. We experience guilt in life. And guilt is common for all of us. There's just things that we've done that we knew were wrong and we feel guilty about it. And a lot of times that comes from decisions that we've made. Uh, Maybe it's people that we've treated a certain way. And this guilt, sometimes God can actually use to, to draw us to himself, to let us know, like the check engine light that comes on our car lets us know we need to take it to the shop. Guilt can sometimes be something that indicates there's something wrong, there's something broken that we need to actually fix. But the thing with guilt is that we actually can't fix guilt ourselves. We are not the mechanic of the guilt problem of our life. We we can't fix it. But it's a feeling and it's an experience that weighs very heavy on us. It's just like this cloud and this cloud of guilt that can weigh on us just from from things that we've done. And we're not proud of it, but it's real and it's a real emotion uh, that we experience. Another thing that ties us to our past is, is failure. Guilt is maybe a decision that we've made that we regret. Failure is something that we wanted to do and we just blew it. We just didn't do what we wanted to do and we experience failure. We look back on maybe a season of our life where we had a chance to do something and it didn't turn out how we wanted. And failure, just like guilt, is something that lingers. It's something that just kind of the regret is there and we can look back a lot and just always think of a certain experience where we experienced failure It'd just be something that we just kind of shake our head at, like, oh, I wish things would have gone differently. I don't know about you, but I have those things in my own life. Things I failed in, things I'm guilty about, where I look back and like, man, I wish things would have gone differently. And those are primarily things that we've done ourselves. We experience failure because of things we've done. We experience guilt because of things we've done. But we're also tied to our past because of things that are, are done to us. And those can be very real as well, and we experience bitterness in life. And bitterness comes from when somebody has wronged us. Somebody has done something to us in our past that hurt us, that made us angry, that maybe they took something from us and it just was hit us in a real personal way. And and this bitterness is something that every time that that bitterness comes up and you think about it, 
and there's some sadness, there's some anger, and there's some hurt, it ties us to that experience. And I've been hurt by different people in my life, and a lot of times when the bitterness comes, I replay that situation again. Why did that person say that? Why did that person do that? And I start getting these feelings of just, I'm a little angry, I'm I'm bitter, I'm, I'm hurt by that. And every time I think that, I'm actually not living in the here and now, I'm just replaying something that happened in my past. And so bitterness is, is very real. There's also something that we experience that's just loss in life. And loss can come in different ways. Sometimes loss can be maybe a death of a dream. Maybe there was something that you wanted to experience in life and you wanted to see happen and it didn't come about. And right now you're in the present and you're looking back and you see this great loss of a dream that you had. Or sometimes loss comes in just the form of losing people close to us. And that loss ties us to our past. And bitterness ties us to our past. And failure and guilt, they all tie us to our past. And these are very real emotions. These are very real experiences that we have that tend to just prevent us from being able to start over. There's a quote by Lewis Smedes. And he said this, and it's up here on the screen. He says, the difference between guilt and shame is very clear in theory. We feel guilty for what we do. We feel shame for what we are. A person feels guilt because he did something wrong. A person feels shame because he is something wrong. And that's really what can happen to us over time. As we experience enough things that we don't know what to do with, things that just went bad for us, whether our own doing or whether by those around us, we move from this feeling of guilty to actually feeling shame. We're ashamed. And shame, what Lewis Smith is saying here, is, is at the core of us. It actually changes our identity. And to live in shame is like this is cage that you're trapped in that you cannot escape. You don't have the key and you cannot get out. And you just are just caught in this. And that's what happens with these things that tie us to our past. We get caught in this cage and, and there's no escape. And so what's so important for each of us is we've all have some of this in our life, whether it's guilt or whether it's shame or whether it's bitterness, or whether it's loss, or whether it's failure. We all have this to some degree. The good news is God actually knows that we experience this. He knows that things have gotten messed up and he actually wants to help us take steps forward to getting out of that cage that we're trapped in. And the good news is the Bible is given to us to give us the clear instructions of how to do that, how to move beyond the things that kind of tie us to the past. And so I want to look at the scriptures this morning, specifically at a letter that was written to the early church. And the early church letters in the New Testament, if you could imagine, they are discovering really what it means to be a church, a group of Christians for the first time. They're also discovering for the first time what it means to actually live as a Christian, as an individual. And if you've ever experienced change in your own life, you have the old way and you have the new way, and you're always battling which one takes the lead. And so the letter of, uh, is written by a man named Paul, and he's trying to encourage people to cling to the new identity that you have in Christ. And that really is what becoming a Christian is all about. Despite the things that we've done, you actually have a new identity. And the new identity is what we build our life on, not the identity that we used to have. And so 
what he begins to address is this perspective of how to view people and how to view yourself. And what he really describes is how Christ followers, they have a new outlook on their past. So all these things that we experience, when you begin to follow Christ, your outlook actually can change. It no longer has to be trapped by these emotions that we feel or these experiences that we, we had in life. And so he describes this letter. And in this letter, he's experienced actually some people that have come against him in his teaching. And they're trying to discredit him. And what he's trying to do is in the midst of being attacked for what he's standing for, he's trying to draw their attention to not all the things that he's doing right or all the things that he's doing wrong, but instead, how is it that we should think about ourselves? And so he's really wanting them to kind of look internally and focus on what God wants to do in the midst of them. And so he gives some perspective that I want to share. It begins in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 16. And he says this, From now on, therefore... We regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. What he's saying is, is to regard somebody according to the flesh is thinking about someone based on what they've done. What they've done that's good, what they've done that's bad. And when you think according to the flesh, it's always based on performance. How good somebody is. Or how bad somebody is. And so there was a rating system that was beginning to happen where people were saying, well, this person's good because of all that they've done. And this person's bad because of all they've done. So make sure you cling to the people that are doing the good and stay away from the people that are doing the bad. And there was just this great division in the early church. A lot of times that happens here and now as well. We look at our own life and we think, you know, I should do better. Or, oh man, I'm not doing good or I'm doing great. And our outlook on life is linked to our performance. This is very real. What he's saying is, is there's a tendency where we just look at people according to that. And he also ties the fact that we also regarded Christ according to the flesh, like looking at Jesus as, okay, what, what has he done for me? And is, is he really real? And he needs to prove it. And there's this idea of we want Christ to measure up to certain standards that we have. What Paul is saying is we, we can't live that way because our standards are broken. And why are our standards broken? Well, because we're still caught in the cage of our past. So we're actually not free to think clearly about these issues. And that's, that's what he's addressing. And so he's wanting to kind of point to the fact that we need to think differently. And it's not according to performance. And then in verse 17, he gives them the perspective of what this should look like. And so he says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And what he's describing is this shift, and he's using it in terms of this creation. And there's the old way and the old life and the new way and the new life. And the old way, he's saying in verse 16, is we just look at the good that people have done or the bad people have done and we judge them upon that. And we become the judge. We become the measure. We become kind of deciding, okay, the weights of has somebody been this good or that good and what we're doing essentially is trying to play God. And we can't do that because that's not our role. So in verse 17, he says, instead of looking at people based on performance and looking at yourself based on performance, a relationship with Christ allows you to escape the cage and you actually be can become not an animal that's captive, but this new creation. You can experience freedom for the first time. 
And so that really is the hope for any Christian. And that's also the hope for anyone that looks just for reasons outside of themselves to actually move forward in life. Because if you can't experience the new creation and you can't experience how to think differently, what do we do with life? How do we actually get traction? How do we move forward? And so what the writer is saying is you can't just do better or be better. You actually have to die to that old way and you become new again. And that's what it means to become a Christian. You still battle and you still have to fight those things that ties to the past. But you are new. And you're new creation in Christ. And why, why is this important? Well, there's two things that we tend to do which fight against this. And this is why this reminder is so important. And these two things are how we try to use our past to prove our worth. See, we, we experience those emotions, whether it's the loss or the shame or the guilt or the failure or the bitterness. We experience those. But what we tend to do is we go to two extremes based upon our past. I do this, and I'm sure you've done this as well. And the first is, I have to keep achieving and seeking accolades. See, if you've blown it earlier in life, there's a sense in which we have to now take the deficit of our life and kind of do more good to get us to a better, better spot. We're, we're in a hole and we have to crawl out of it. So the, thing, the way we think we've got to crawl out of it is, I've got to be better. I've got to do better. I've got to do more. And so we keep trying to prove our worth to those around us. We keep trying to prove our worth to ourselves. And oftentimes we keep trying to prove our worth to God. And it looks like this. Oh, I, I blew it, but I'm not going to do that anymore. Or I messed up, but that was, I was young. I was immature. I, I won't do that anymore. And we kind of convince ourselves that that was the old way and we're just going to keep on being better. So there's just this proving that we do to ourselves and this proving that we do to others that actually doesn't allow us to escape the cage. We're still trapped. And I'm going to explain why in a moment. But the second thing we try to do is it causes us, if we can't kind of seek the accolades or achieve to get us out of the hole, then we, we tend to just ignore that the past happened. And that's the second thing that ties us to our past. We never effectively deal with our failure, our guilt. Or our shame. Have you ever done something and you just pretended to yourself that that didn't really happen? I know I have. This is, I'm going to share a funny story, but I have a lot of stories that aren't funny. But for our time here, I'll share this one because I think it illustrates. But when I was a senior in high school, me and my friend were hanging out and we decided like it would be fun to prank call people. And I don't know what it was, but I thought like prank calling, like that was a really good idea. And I was young and wasn't really thinking clearly. And we just decided we were just going to call random numbers and make jokes and try to have conversations and act like we knew people. And it was just a great time. Me and my friend calling people, snickering, you know, just is your fridge running? Yeah, you know, go get, you know, all that stuff. And we're just having a great time. And we go to bed and my friend goes home and, and, all of a sudden, in the middle of the night, I hear my door just get pushed open, hits my wall, and I just sit up straight. And it's my, my parents. And they just, in the middle of the night, what did you do last night? 
And I had to think, I was like, what did I do last night? I'm still asleep, but they're very angry. And so I might have done something last night that I shouldn't have done. And they go on to tell me that they had had numerous calls throughout the night. Because there was a thing that got invented called Star 69. And I didn't know that at the time of my prank calling. And I'd like to think to myself, if I'd known that, I wouldn't have done that. But even that doesn't make any sense. Like, the only reason I wouldn't do it is because I was going to get caught. And so, anyways, it was kind of at, like, the spring of my senior year. And my parents, like, were being threatened that people were going to call the police. I mean, this is like, I just was trying to have fun. I was trying to have a good time. No one's getting hurt. And all of a sudden, it's like, we're calling the cops. What are you guys doing harassing us? And anyways... Long story short, and rightfully so, my parents, as a punishment, took away my senior trip. And I experienced great loss. We were going to go to Magic Mountain and ride roller coasters as we experienced the freedom from graduating high school. And I didn't get to go. And they said, you know, you're not going to go on your senior trip. And I remember from just a period from that moment, for weeks and weeks and weeks, I just kept running the scenarios of like, well, if I wouldn't have done it, I wouldn't have gotten in trouble. And if I wouldn't have gotten in trouble, I'd been able to go on my senior trip. And I just kept running these, why did I do it? Why did I do it? Why did I do it? I don't know if you've ever experienced that. And sometimes it's in little things, sometimes it's in big things. But there's always these things where we just keep replaying the scenario again and again and again and again. And I kind of was at this point where I, I just was trying to act like it didn't happen. That didn't really happen. It wasn't real. And I just tried to kind of get beyond it. But it kept nagging at me, nagging at me, nagging at me. I finally got to the point where I had to... I just had to let it go. I had to clear it up with my parents and ask forgiveness. And there wasn't really anything I could do to the people that I prank called because it was so random and I didn't know their numbers. I just, this was weighing on me. And this is what tends to happen. We either look at our past and we're so ashamed that we think, okay, I've, I've got to prove myself. Or we look at our past and we're so ashamed that we think, I'm just going to pretend it didn't happen. And either way, we actually don't deal with it. And so what Paul is writing is you can't go about a certain strategy or go to steps A, B, and C to necessarily figure out how to move beyond your past. You actually have to become something new. You have to commit your life to Christ to become this new creation, to escape the cage that we're in. And so he's trying to give hope to the people. And then he goes on further in verse 21 to kind of further clarify his point. And this is what he says. He says, For our sake, he made him, and he's talking about Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. What he's saying is, when Jesus Christ came to this earth, he knew everything that we had done. He knew everything done to us. And the reason Christians talk so much about what Jesus did They talk so much about the life that he lived. They talk about the fact that he died for our sins. Is because the only way that we could experience this new creation is that Jesus took our sin upon himself. And as we connect with him, his righteousness, the fact that he is okay before God, and he lived a perfect life before God, and he doesn't have a past that he's ashamed with, when we connect... To him, his righteousness can become our righteousness. And so that's the picture of the new creation. Him who knew no sin 
took ours for us. That's the hope that we have by following Jesus Christ. And so it all begins there. If you've never committed your life to Christ, and and you can kind of find yourself swirling in the midst of your past, it begins with that. You have to decide to have enough information and to know enough about Jesus that you're willing to follow him and trust in his righteousness and the fact that he's right before God because we know that we're not. And so we have to admit that we need the help. That's where it begins. And so I just want to walk through the process. Once we decide to follow Jesus, how do we kind of begin again despite the things that we've done and despite the things done to us? So I just want to walk through this quickly. So how, how to build on the rubble? Here's some just practical suggestions. The first is, if, if I've blown it and if you've blown it, what we all have to do is we have to ex- ex- accept responsibility and confess my sin. That begins with just confessing to God, God, I, I've messed up, I'm a sinner, and this is what I did, and it was wrong. And if you've done something to somebody else that was wrong, you actually confess it to them. And that's where you begin to build it on the rubble. The second thing is you have to ask forgiveness. And this, this action of asking forgiveness is when the guilt comes, there's always that thing that weighs on us because we just can't believe we did it. We can't believe we actually did it and we're so ashamed. But forgiveness over time actually allows that feeling of guilt. God, God takes that away. And why does he take it away? Because Jesus Christ has become our righteousness. He's made us right before God. And so we just have to ask for forgiveness. We have to just say, you know, God, I, I've sinned and will you forgive me? Again, it's admitting we need help. The third thing is, if we've blown it, We need to yield to Jesus and keep building into the future. To build on the rubble, the idea of building, it's active. Moving beyond our past is active. It's not just something we can think. It actually means we have to do certain things. And yielding to Jesus is daily and as regularly as we can. We have to spend time with Jesus Christ. We have to spend time in the scriptures Because what happens as we deal with our past, we have all our perspectives, we have our ideas, we have our notions. And what we need is we need new ideas. We need new notions because ours are caught in the cage. And so what the scriptures do, they give us perspective and truth, which help us battle the things that we believe that are not true. But you have to regularly do this because I know for myself, I'm full of things that aren't true. I'm full of things that I've thought a long time that just are not right. So the scriptures have a way of they just kind of realign me. And that's what it means to yield to Jesus. God, just keep teaching me. As I spend time in your word, help, help it to, to kind of draw light upon the things which I need to change. Or things I need to think differently. And this process over time, that's what it means to walk with God. He begins to change you. And it's a battle. It's something that you have to do. As those thoughts come of guilt, and as those thoughts come of shame, yielding to Jesus God, going back to what you've done. God, you have forgiven me for my sin. God, help me to not beat myself up anymore. We take away that guilt. And you just have to battle through that. You have to remember the truth. And then there's also some things that you can do if, if you've been hurt by others or if you've experienced the loss. And so if others have caused damage for you, it begins in the same way. You have to you have to forgive them. 
And forgiving them is a choice that you make. And it's an emotional process as well. And so there's two facets of forgiveness. There's the decisional aspect, which is I forgive them and I make the choice to forgive them here and now. So you just ask God, God, I I forgive them. And what they did was wrong, but I forgive them because you've forgiven me. And so God is always the basis for how we extend forgiveness because he extended forgiveness to us. And then the emotional is important, too, because what tends to happen with forgiveness is we make the decision, but they're still hurt. And there's still shame. And so the emotional aspect is over time. Allowing God to continue to work in us. And even though that hurt is there, and it's not something that we just forget, it's still there. Over time, God actually heals us emotionally as well. And that's where this new creation is formed. We're a new creation the minute, the second we decide to follow Jesus Christ. And then after that, we begin to grow into the person, the man or the woman that that he wants us to be. And so we have to ask forgiveness, which includes making the decision and then emotionally making and working through the process. Ephesians 4 gives some perspective on this. and You see it up here on the screen. It says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. If somebody's hurt you, one of the first things that happens is your heart becomes hard. You don't want anything to do with the person. But when you follow Christ, you realize because Jesus is now our foundation for our righteousness and not our own performance, we can actually be tenderhearted. We can have a soft heart towards people, even people that have hurt us. It may not happen immediately, but over time, that's the difference that you can see Jesus makes. We can let go of these things like bitterness and anger and want to speak bad of this person. And we can actually forgive because Christ forgave us. And the second thing is if you've been hurt or if you've experienced loss is you can trust God to do good to you in spite of the loss. You don't know how everything's going to turn out. Once you extend forgiveness for somebody, you don't know what's going to happen. But this idea is that you have to trust God. And second Corinthians gives some helpful perspective too. It says this. You could put it up there, Second Corinthians 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort. Anytime you see the Father of something, it means that it's from Him. Mercy is something that began with God. There was no mercy unless God was mercy. And that's what it's saying. He's the Father of mercies and He's the God of all comfort who comforts us in all of our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. What that's talking about is there's a story that God is writing in you. And oftentimes he tells that story even through the bad and difficult things that you've experienced. What the scripture is saying is if you've experienced loss and you've experienced hurt and you've experienced pain, And as you've turned to God, he's comforted you. You now can explain to people how God helped you. And as you show that God came through for you, how God helped you, that becomes the comfort for them. So you see this picture of God multiplies the work into the present, into the future, 
even despite the loss of the past. And all this is that picture of this new creation. I want to close out the service by letting you hear a story of a member of our Alhambra campus, Brianna Elliott. And Brianna has a story that I don't know if some of you have heard before, but she's just going to explain kind of her life, her past. And it's in four minutes. It's a very brief, condensed version. But she's just going to explain really what God did in her life and how, despite her past, she she actually experienced hope. So let's watch this together. Hi, I'm Brianna Elliott. I'm 25, and I'm a member at Church in the Valley. Growing up, um, I lived in the foster care system. When I was eight, my brother and I were abandoned and uh, left with my alcoholic grandmother and step-grandfather. During our time there, um, we all, we both faced several different um, forms of abuse and it got really bad at one point that we both were kind of planning how we could run away and get away from it all. Uh, instead of doing that, I decided to talk to my social worker and let her know what was going on. So we were both um, placed into different homes, um, different family members and different group homes. We weren't placed together anymore and it was really hard for both of us to deal with it. Uh, I usually would start off my process by praying to God but really found no relief in that because I didn't have a relationship with him. So uh, I would lash out by throwing tantrums, being disrespectful to everybody and just being defiant as much as I could. During this time, I just really felt a lot of anger towards many adults that were in my life, and mainly my mother and my grandmother, and I just just had constant anger with everyone around me. I also felt guilty for treating the people that were trying to help me, just lashing out to them constantly. I just was kind of being pulled both ways, feeling guilty and angry and really just felt like I was in two different worlds at that point. Well, I started coming to church a little more constantly in 2005 with some family members and I was really relieved hearing messages that I could relate to and people I could relate to and I was just beginning to build a relationship with people within the church first and which then moved me closer to God and got me looking into a Bible and really started focusing on what it was that God wanted me to do. Um, I was able to start realizing that actually God had answered all those prayers as a child and just not the way that I wanted or expected them to be answered because he really did protect me during that time and when I met other kids in the group home hearing some things that happened to them, I just knew that I had it good compared to them. And I knew that that was God protecting me. Um, In 2013, I decided to get baptized and become uh, a member at CIV and started really seeing what it is to be a servant and be around people who also were serving God and people around them and the love that they exuded just really refreshed my life and I was able to experience people apologizing to each other on a regular basis and forgiving and really helped me mend some wounds that I had where either I had done the deed or 
what people have done to me, just forgiving them without hearing an apology. And it was just really refreshing for me to get so involved. And now I can just live my life and rewrite the script that seems like was already written for me before I knew it. And I think that God and really being at CIV and being with different members and being involved has really made a huge impact in my life. I appreciate Bree uh, sharing. What, what she just described is, is the old life and the new life and the old creation. And what, what happens when you begin to follow Jesus is that this is real. And uh, if you're a Christ follower, you, you have a story too. And it may be different, but we've all experienced this. And if you've not yet decided to follow Christ, um, you just have to get to the point where you continue to, to get your questions answered. And it may be something that, that you just have to make that decision. And if you just would like more information, you'd like to hear some more stories of people that you know here at Church in the Valley, you know, have a conversation with them. They'll be happy to share just how God has helped them deal with their past as they've decided to follow him. So I'm going to pray as the band comes up, and we're going to continue singing back to God. Let's pray. God, I, I, I just thank you for the love that you've given us and the fact that you sent Jesus Christ to save us uh, here and now, but also to, to give us relief from our past and to give us a new future and to make us new creation. And so I pray that for those of us that decided to follow you, that help us not to drift too far from the script that, that you've rewritten for us. Help us to live in the hope of how you have, have taken us from the cage of our old creation and given us new life. And I just pray for anyone today that's just really under the pressure of their past, whether it's guilt, shame, bitterness. I pray that, that they'll turn to you and ask you for help. And God, you are faithful. You will hear them and you will draw near to them. And so I ask that you'll do that in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.